Today is a very special episode of The Content Rebels. I've been talking to so many top marketing experts, but I haven't yet spoken to those closer to home, the people in my team. Settle in and let's take a look at the evolution of content marketing with my beloved team. Hi, I'm Sarah Spence. I grew a content agency from just me to 20 people inside two years. So you'd think I'd have my shit together. And even though I try to come at everything with a rebellious curiosity, I've been so focused on growing this thing that I'm a bit behind in the trends. Join me on this journey to find out what's actually happening in the world of marketing. Welcome to The Content Rebels. I'm really looking forward to this. Today, you and I are going to take a trip down marketing memory lane to learn how things have changed, what stayed the same, and where the experts who have their fingers on the pulse, that's the awesome people in my team, see content marketing heading into the future. Now, if you're under 30, you could be forgiven for feeling like the internet and digital marketing has been around forever. But really, it wasn't all that long ago that marketing didn't mean socials and videos, TikToks and the gram. It sounded more like... People sit down with a cup of tea and a magazine and have a long form read. That's Lee Robshaw. She's a content manager here at Content Copywriting. And when Lee first started her career, it was all about print. My first job out of uni was working for a health and lifestyle newspaper in Sydney. Um, So I decided I wanted to go into journalism. Um, But I didn't want to do the rate pillage funder journalism. I wanted to do more profiles and lifestyle and more magazine type journalism, really. And um, that's sort of the area I went into. Um, But thinking back, it was very advertorial based. So most of what I was writing, even though I thought I was doing journalism, was really marketing anyway. So that was, yeah, monthly full-colour newspaper that I worked for. And um, the people that ran the newspaper also ran an event promotion company and would run ads in the newspaper to promote the event. And so I got involved in event promotion as well. And then that led to working for travel magazines and that led to working for NRMA's Open Road magazine. And then in 2004, I moved up to Sunshine Coast and and I started doing copywriting. And ever since 2004, really, I've had a a foot in both camps of of journalism and publishing and copywriting and marketing. So Lee is one of those experts who, like me, started in a time when newspaper journalism was big business. And if you were employed at a magazine, well, you had one of the coolest jobs out there. Remember those days at the big, glossy fashion and travel magazines? They weren't just cool. For many businesses, newspapers and magazines were the only way to get their name out there. It's amazing to see how in the in the 90s, you would walk into news agents and just see, you know, racks and racks and racks of magazines. All my friends in Sydney worked in magazines like Marie Claire and actually, which is still going, but, um, you know, Madison and Dolly Magazine and all of those amazing magazines. And I loved magazines so much. And Cosmopolitan, which is gone and it was such a thriving industry. And I used to work for a big suite of full color travel magazines. Uh, one is called Pacific Island Paradises and one's called Asian Paradises. And that was one of my first jobs. And we, we produced an annual, really thick, full-colour, glossy magazine that contained 
advertorials on pretty much every single place to stay across the Pacific from, you know, five star down to like two star and same with Asian paradises. The owner of that business would travel all year round going to visit all of these little, some big, you know, five star resorts down to the little thatched roof huts that wanted to pay a little bit for, you know, a quarter page advertorial in this magazine. And the entire thing was paid for. The entire magazine was advertorial. The printing and distribution costs for those magazines were, were huge, but there was not really any alternative for those, you know, little, um, some of those little out of the way, um, hotels. Nice. Remember those glossy mags with those awesome shots of beaches that go on for miles. But then, of course, things changed. Here's Lee again. Just the advent of a little thing called the internet, which pretty much decimated um, magazine publishing, which most people I know have moved on to other careers or yeah, gone into content or, or marketing or something with transferable skills, I guess. So most people in print, well, they lost their jobs and had to move into the digital space. But it's not all bad. I do feel really nostalgic for that era of print. But as Lee explains, there are lots of positives with this new era of the internet, especially efficiency. You can target your market a lot better. You can measure your results a lot better. It's a much better ROI with print advertising. Could never really, it was very difficult to tell if it was working. The internet came along and decimated classified ads, which were described as, you know, rivers of gold by Rupert Murdoch. You know, without those rivers of gold, print media has really changed and struggled to stay relevant. And really, since the early 2000s, even the major newspapers were starting to decline in readership. And as we know, less readers means less advertising dollars. And so the way of the copywriter began to change from magazine articles and advertorials and long-form direct mail. They all became less important as the world started to look more and more to their computers, their laptops and their phones for information. And that meant something else became the top priority, being found on the internet. Time to introduce Soph. Hi, I'm Sophie and I'm the Creative Director at Content Copywriting. Soph knows a lot about a little thing called search engine optimization. Um, Google and other search engines are getting smarter and their primary objective is to connect their users to the right content. So, uh, I mean, that works great for us because we always ensure we write for humans first and we do always make sure we have that connection. Um, but if you are trying to flood an article with keywords that maybe don't align with the content, but you're just trying to get users onto the page, Google are going to pick that up and they're going to penalise you. So it's really important to keep an eye out for what Google are looking for. Um, obviously, a huge focus on quality content, um, but also making sure your search intent is aligning with the, the content that you're writing. But just like Lee, Soph didn't start in the world of SEO because... Well, SEO as we know it today actually hasn't been around for all that long. For Soph, it was all about effective communication. So when I left school, I moved to Italy and I studied there for a year and I studied languages, um, culture and media. 
And that was really where it opened up my eyes to international media and how different messages are perceived by different audiences and how how just changing the messaging or, you know, interpreting the messaging can be so different in different cultures and different countries. So I think that's really where it sort of sparked my, I guess, uh, liking to to look into media and communications um, because I really loved that idea of communicating things to people in an accessible way. Um, so you don't always have to, you know, speak the best English or you don't always have to um, understand the language, but there's many different ways you can, can communicate your message. Um, so I was really intrigued by that. So that's kind of where it all started. Um, when I came back, I started uh, my career in corporate travel. So I moved into there. Um, I was working for a variety of companies, including Virgin Australia, which was Virgin Blue Holidays back then. Um, and then I moved into corporate travel, primarily looking after account management for some high profile clients, which was, I loved. I loved the, the bigger clients, the bigger corporates where it was just always different and so exciting and always talking to different people in the company. So I had exposure to a lot of different areas, um, which was great. Um, 15 years there. So I got a lot of exposure across the corporate industry. So I worked in account management, um, consulting, sales, marketing, executive management, recruitment, training, business development. I went on maternity leave for four times. So um, uh, that, that in a way was a bit of a blessing because it gave me a chance to mix things up every time. So every time I came back, I was like, yeah, I'm coming back, but I want to do something a bit different. So let's mix it up. Good skills for a content marketing creative director, right? Well, I think so. Soph has unique insight into copywriting and the changes happening right before our eyes in the copywriting world. Copywriting has had to keep up with the evolving digital landscape. Um, there are definitely the fundamentals of, of great writing that obviously haven't changed. But when we look to move it into a digital format, you know, gone are the days where someone would buy the magazine and just read it from front to back because they've bought the whole magazine. These days, the audience attention is is less. If we haven't captured them in that intro, then we're likely to lose them. Um, so we don't have that loyalty anymore. We don't have that person who's just going to read the whole article because they've paid for the paper or the magazine. We do need to really make sure that, A, the, the copywriting is really engaging and captivating their attention, and also that it does have the right amount of SEO in it as well. So search engine optimization is a really important part of copywriting now in the digital landscape because we can have the the best article we've ever written, but if it's not optimized for SEO, then it's not likely going to get in front of anyone unless it's manually shared. So if we want people to see it, we need to make sure it's optimized. Um, but also, yeah, the copywriters do need to be very creative in their approach and really think about the structure of their piece and make sure that it is doing the job of, especially in copywriting, if we're selling a product or selling a service, it is weaving that in naturally so that the reader doesn't feel like they're reading an advertisement. But, um, you know, they want to feel like they're on board, they're engaged, they feel a connection to this brand. Um, all of that has to come into it without being over the top um, or without being too salesy. 
but it also does need to have certain elements to keep them engaged and have obviously an element of SEO to it as well. So now copywriters need to think about strategy, SEO and engagement. They need to talk directly to the reader and entice them into their world. Here's Soph again. Copywriting also needs to consider um, the strategy of the piece of the, the piece we're writing. So if it's a standalone piece, um, then that's one thing, but quite often it is connected to a much larger strategy. So there'll be several pieces that need to connect together. So they do, the copywriter does need to then make sure that they are naturally weaving in these other elements and these other editorial pieces so that the reader does then naturally uh, want to go on to the next piece. Um, and then it, it forms this sort of pillar and cluster model where all of the pieces are connected together and then more eyes are getting on the pieces and we're yeah, getting more views, more users. And then Google sees that, search engines see that and think, right, well, this is obviously a popular article or this popular set of articles. So let's, you know, let's break that higher because they're obviously working together. A lot of people are reading them and spending time on the page reading them as well. Um, that's another thing. If the copywriter doesn't captivate their attention immediately and they click away, that then affects the bounce rate, which then affects their ranking. So if everyone's jumping on and jumping straight off, then Google's going to think, right, well, this article is, is obviously not that great. Maybe we need to drop it down in the rankings. So there is a fair bit of pressure on copywriters these days, um, quite a few elements to think about, but definitely having a strategy um, or working with a team that is able to guide the strategy or SEO is really crucial. So I guess for the average copywriter, if, I mean, they don't need to be SEO experts. It's not a matter of being a writer and having to understand everything, but what they do need to know are the basic fundamentals of SEO and strategy so that they can understand whether or not they have incorporated it properly and they're making sure the piece is working across the strategy. Um, and they can also make sure that if they're working with an SEO team who is asking them to flood the piece with keywords, then they have enough understanding to say, look, this is, this is where the keywords need to go and I've put them in those places. So they can sort of be that uh, custodian of the quality and make sure that the keywords are there, they're in the right places, but they're not flooded um, and ruining the piece, basically. So it's really important for copywriters to make sure that they're engaging their audience because if someone jumps onto an article, starts reading it, realises it's not for them or it's not captivating enough and jumps straight off, then it's going to affect the engagement rate. So it's likely, and we know that with the engagement rate, which used to be called the bounce rate but, um, in the old Google Analytics. Um, so if the engagement rate is not strong, so if people are jumping in and jumping straight out, then Google is going to see that and think, right, well, this article is not actually performing well. It's obviously not captivating their attention or it's not giving them the answers they need. So let's pull that down in the rankings. So the engagement rate is really important as well. And while we're hearing from Soph, let's get some tips on SEO in today's world. How do we make keywords work, like really work? Here's an example. If I'm writing an article on how to process a tax return, I'm talking to users who already know what a tax return is and they just want to know the steps to process the tax return. They don't want to jump into the article and then have me tell them all about what is a tax return 
and what is tax <laughs> or what what is a refund? They already know that. They just actually want to know what do I do when I get to the ATO. So it's it's things like that where you need to be really mindful of that we're not just saying, okay, here's an article on tax returns. Let's flood it with 50 keywords on tax returns because it needs to be quite specific. And the more specific you can get, the better engagement you'll have and the better strategy you can put together. You know, you're always thinking about the strategy. So if you discover something, quite often this happens to us, we discover a whole bunch of keywords are like, wow, so many people are thinking about this. Let's do a whole strategy that captures that audience in the right way. So not just one article to capture everyone. One thing to keep in mind with SEO is it's not just for editorial content. It is also used in video content and in graphics content. So YouTube is the second biggest search engine after Google. Um, So if you've got videos that you're producing or infographics, they also need to be optimized for SEO. So just keep that in mind as well. And if you've got editorial plus um, amplification, so you've got if you've got an article plus a video and an infographic, that's going to give you three times the SEO power. Whether they're coming through whichever avenue, they're likely going to view all three. So that's a really good strategy to keep in mind too. Thanks, Soph. And yeah, those simple techniques to really amplify your SEO can go a long way. And you know where we're going with this, right? Of course, it all comes back to strategy. A bit of forward planning can save a lot of heartache later. And really, as we step along the evolution of marketing, once SEO became a thing, strategy became more important and more complex. But how do we craft it so it's far more effective than just any plan plucked from the air? Let me introduce you to Claire. Claire is one of the lead strategists in our team. I get to look at a very, very broad range of clients, effectively all of the clients that we have, I get to be involved with, which is really diverse and exciting. So I get that similar sort of tech startup vibe in that you have your hands in lots of different pies and across lots of different teams. And I guess most of what I do is looking at each of our clients' KPIs and goals for themselves and figuring out how we can help them achieve that. So Claire is good at putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And I wonder, considering how complex content marketing has become, what are the big changes that have been happening to marketing as these complexities grow? Here's a bit of the conversation I had with Claire about this. I've definitely noticed that there has been an increased interest in personalized content. When I originally got into the industry, I think that the tools that we used, or at least the tools that I had access to, were a lot more generic and um, there wasn't a lot of deep diving into segmentation and what different people needed to hear as well as where they were getting it from and their, you know, their path to purchase was all completely different. But a lot of the time they're just treated as uh, as a whole. Um, and now that we've got access to all of these different tools, we can really see what types of customers need to hear what different types of messaging on which channel, at what cadence, And then we can also analyze whether that's actually working and whether spend for, say, Gen Z is better spent on, you know, something like social or 
an email nurture program um, and switch that off and really get the best use of someone's investment. It's interesting as well, though, because there's been such an evolution of big data over the last you know, couple of years, particularly. And big data can, can give us a lot of insight. And obviously we use that a lot because, you know, technically keyword research and other things we access are, are big data, lots of, lots of data aggregated to provide information about trends and other things. But it's almost like it's swinging back around as well into being like getting down to the micro data level and being able to understand nuance and adjust for nuance in a way that we were never able to, you know, five, 10 years ago. Absolutely. But I also think that brands are realizing that marketplaces are getting really saturated. So like they can't be everything to everyone. So they need that, you know, deep, deep data to understand the profiles of the people that are actually going to stick with them and make purchases again and again and be loyal customers and then go on to be people who refer people to their business as well. So without knowing and being able to cut the data in a way that shows you who your best customers are, you're really just stuck speaking to everyone. I think customers expect brands to be delivering them content that is for people just like them. They want brands to be speaking to them in the words that they use. Um, and again, yeah, across the channels that they want to be on. That, that is a relatively new consumer demand, don't you think? I don't know that that existed even a year ago, do you think? I think we're getting, and we have done for years, there's all those studies on you know how many ads we see every day. But now that we spend so much time in social, we get sponsored, sponsored ads and sponsored posts as well. It's just like an overwhelming amount of information that you're served. And it's almost like you don't want to have to do the hard yards to find the stuff that's for you. Um, we all know, even people who aren't in marketing, we all know a bit about listening tools and about profiling people and targeted messaging. So we expect brands that, you know, whether we assume they have the big bucks, whether they do or don't, we expect them to get it right. Thanks, Claire. And we do so expect those brands to get it right, don't we? And we can get so annoyed when the messaging just doesn't feel personal. As consumers, haven't we become picky? But that means that the brands do need to pay special attention to those that they want to target. Or as Claire says, they'll be talking to everybody and nobody at the same time. I want to dig a little deeper into what brands need to think about when creating a strategy and what consumers expect. Let's talk to Jay. I'm very much an agency person. I'm really big on the collaborative work to sort of build a really holistic brand. And I think that you need a bunch of different brains, a whole a whole lot of different insights in experiences. And that's what actually makes really solid branding, which is obviously the foundation for equally solid marketing efforts. Jay now works as one of the copy editors in our team, and she's really good at it. I actually liked the the little details so much more than the broader picture. Like I I think you need both both parties in in agencies, right? You need people who have huge big picture outlooks and you need people who are right down in the dirt, like making sure that every single syllable makes sense for the vision that you've created for your brand. So for me, editing felt like the logical next step um, because it was just that chance to really have guardianship over the final um the final voice of, of branding and the brands. It's so good to have an editor who loves the little details. 
So let's get some advice from Jay about the way she perfects the little details to create a big overall impact. Here's some of the conversation we had. So I suppose my one piece of advice is that it's all well and good to get people onto your page, but what you really need to do is keep them there. You can use all manner of sort of techniques and not tricks, but, you know, ways to get people to land on your page or to pick up your product or to, you know, grab their attention in some way. Um, and there are, there are some sort of cheap tricks you can use to do that. And that's where you get, you know, shitty, sorry, I'm out of sweat. Yes. Um, shitty SEO. <laughs> agencies that don't do what we do for example which is more holistic you need to not only like get people to come to the party you need them to have fun while they're there we all know a few brands that immediately come to mind where we're like I just love this like I I want to read their EDMs I want to see their new products I keep the packaging of the products because it's funny or it's beautiful or whatever and so yeah I think my biggest piece of advice is Get people there and keep them there by being authentic, speaking their language, knowing and really listening as well to what they're saying. If something doesn't land, you need to cycle back and go, okay, why and how can we change that? There's always this push and pull between like editorial excellence and listening to the audience and developing content that is just amazing and really um, engenders all of that loyalty and engagement and everything. And then that performance stuff, like what you were saying, the shitty SEO stuff. There is a need for both though. How do you see them both coming together? I'm definitely a big fan of knowing the rules so that you can break them, which is where the rebels thing comes in, right? <laughs> but it's a big thing of like, um, I believe that you, your audience experience should be as seamless as possible. Like 100%. For me, that is the priority. And then very close under that is obviously performance. Um, Work with those performance requirements, things like keywords, things like search intent and all that sort of thing. Um, But never, ever at the expense of user experience and and people reading. Because the worst thing is when you're sort of reading an editor and you're like, oh, this is really, really well written, clunk. And then you just come across something that's just so awkward and it's been so shoehorned in. Quite often there are situations where grammatically something is technically correct, but it reads to the general public as incorrect. It's it's way, way better, even though you as an editor or a writer, you're like, well, that's actually, that's wrong. If it's how your audience speaks and if it's what they're anticipating, that's what you should include. Always. You need like you need to get off your editorial high horse. Remember that in English there aren't actually any rules, there are just conventions. Also, you need that initial like you can 100 percent rebrand or like create a term that is appropriate to you, but you can only do that when you've brought your audience again to the party. Like they need to be there already. And then you can start using that language that is really idiosyncratic and makes you stand out. But you have to have a stake, you have to be actually in the market for people to know that and to know who you are. There's that knowing the rules to break the rules thing again, isn't it? I guess that's also how brands connect with their potential customers. We link into what rules are okay to break to create our collective sense of identity. But we're now a long way from where marketing all began and to create that nuanced, specialised, tailored, personalised content, you need someone who can run a tight operational process to help it all flow. Time to introduce Casey. I'm Casey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Content Copywriting. 
my role is very much to to run the day to day and to to make the processes hum to make the people happy and to get you know get the best out of our team uh, and obviously deliver for our clients. For so many creatives, getting that process right to make sure we're all working at an optimum level with maximum ease doesn't come naturally. I mean, we've got creative brains, not process brains. So how do we do it? The first step is obviously knowing your process, knowing who is needed when and what you need out of each of those steps. For us, it was about having a streamlined process that allowed each of our people and the skill sets that they had to really shine at each step. So we have worked really hard to create an amazing uh, project management tool that steps out our process into clearly defined steps um, assigned to our, you know, wonderful team uh, that really allows both the client and our team to see where content is up to at any stage of the process. Um, building that platform uh, was super fun. Uh, it was, you know, allowed us to nerd out on all of the, you know, bits and pieces and the the what if and wouldn't it be cool if uh, scenarios. It really is the, the fundamental way that we run content creation. So really knowing how you do it, I think, is one of the most important parts of getting organized, getting streamlined and getting the best out of your people. Uh, you know, there's been many iterations of our steps in the past three years and, you know, we're always looking for ways to tighten it up and make it better and improve it and get better at what we do and faster at what we do. Um, but definitely the number one thing is to know know the steps of your process, know what they are and know the people that you need and the skill sets that you need in order to make that happen. We would probably, you know, the advice that I would give to people looking to scale their sole trader business, um, you know, maybe you're a freelancer, maybe, you know, you're a sole copywriter and you want to scale, you want to get bigger, you want to you know, earn, earn more, do more, work with you know some big names what has really worked for us has been about knowing the steps in our process but also not not using just one singular person in order to create the content that we have the content that that we deliver goes through a number of different brains and each of those brains have got a very specific skill set and you know specific experience that they bring to the table that makes that end result actually that high quality piece of content that we want that our that our clients really keep coming back to us for more this is certainly not everyone's expertise so i'm glad that i have casey here to lean on with that but now well it's 2023 so it wouldn't be a conversation about the evolution of marketing without a conversation about AI. So what does my team really think of AI and especially ChatGPT? 
Well, I'm so glad you asked. I am really excited about AI. I think it's it's coming, whether we want it or not. It's definitely something that's on the way. Um, and I think we need to embrace it. I think AI is a bit of a double-edged sword. From an operations perspective, you would be silly not to use it. I think it's probably similar to everyone else with a writing background. Uh, you first get a bit scared about what it could potentially do um, and taking over our jobs. And then once you play in it a little bit, you realise that the quality of its output is completely determined, at least at the moment, on the quality of information that you're feeding it. Also, I have a lot of designer friends who obviously deal with mid-journey and sort of visual um, AI. I have a lot of writer friends who are dealing with written AI. I think those two are sort of slightly different realms. So with writing, uh, it's a tool. Like we're just, we're kind of in a new, it's a new industrial revolution, right? We're not going to be hand sewing in factory in, you know, at homes anymore. We're going to be in factories. We're going to be mass producing things, um, but we're still going to need people to run the machines. And it's really just a case of going, look, this is inevitable. Learn how to use it and learn how to use it well, and also learn how to imbue humanity into the output. When we first started looking at AI, it was definitely better the devil you know. Um, find out all its ins and outs. And, you know, in that process, we've been able to uncover so many ways that AI is going to just transform the digital marketing industry for the better. And I think, like anything, you know, it's it's always going to need someone to drive it. It's always going to need a creative. There's, it's never going to be able to replicate a creative brain. Um, so I think, you know, I don't believe there is um, going to be such a big impact to the creative industry. I think there's still going to be a need for creatives. ChatGPT is making a few boo-boos about people and that's not good because you know why is it coming up with defamatory information about people and they're just the people that have found out and have can be bothered suing you know so that kind of worried me so i obviously like i teach at uni and one of the main things that i have been telling my students is that you are going to be competing to sell your your outputs to clients who think they can do it themselves with ai um and that the number one thing that you have that they don't have is a heart which sounds a bit cheesy but you you have an understanding you know what people actually want to read you know what makes people tick so yeah i think it's all about just not being scared of it harnessing it for your own purposes using it to enhance the work that you're already doing and remembering always to keep that heart in what you're doing as well i mean if we think about people who have English as a second language. Think about all of the accessibility um, that that's going to help them bring just with AI, just in their general day-to-day, -day, you know, conversations. And, you know, as someone who comes from an Italian background, I've got a lot of, um, you know, people in my family who English is their second language, and I can already see how this can really help them communicate. It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a human soul, 
and it doesn't relate to the world the way humans do. So if your prompts are not accurate, you're not going to get out something that is in any way relevant to you. There's, I mean, we think about Grammarly, that is an AI platform that is helping us, helping so many people with grammar and, and spelling. And it's not just about spell check, it's about, hey, what about put a comma here? Or, hey, you've used too many exclamation marks. You know, it's helping us in our language and it's helping us learn what we should do, what we shouldn't do. So I think AI will be similar to that. It's really going to help us in that process, but it's never going to take away that creative brain. I'm all for new tools and new ways of working and I know that it's only going to help us continue to deliver the quality that we are now known for. There you have it. AI and ChatGPT are definitely here to stay and can be our friend if we learn to work with it. It has been such a thrill to hear from the people who I work with every day, but perhaps don't always stop to get those bigger picture perspectives with. There's so much change in our industry and hand on heart, I have to say, I'm so glad to have a team full of the expertise and experience that you've just heard. The future's got to be bright with that, right? Thanks for joining me on this journey. If you want to stay rebellious in how you practice marketing, how you show up in your workplace and how you live your life, please subscribe to the Content Rebels wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on a Wabakul and Dark and Jund country. Produced by Pod and Pen Productions.